Total Soccer Show and our review of the 2023 Women's World Cup Final. Over 64 games, we've watched the field get thinner and now it's official. We have a winner. In Sydney, the only ones cracking the champagne will also be singing Viva España. The Lionesses roared and tried to find some fragility, but in the end were undone by superior Spanish ability. La Roca pressed high and held the keys to unlock an England side who just couldn't get through their block. England hailed Mary but Earps couldn't alone get it done and at the end of the day the best team won. So congrats to Spain who look composed and slick even if their coach is a bit of a questionable character. My name's Ryan Bailey joining me today your friend and mine. Hello Taylor Rockwell. Hello, my friend. Did England roar? I must have missed that. It sounded more like a baby lion trying to find its roar. That felt more appropriate for the day. Here's my impression of the roar. Rawr. <laughs> there you go. That's it. That's, that's well done. And for listeners who weren't able to see, which is all of them, uh, <laughs> Ryan did add the hand gesture as well. So we did get the lion's paw in there, too. Thank you, Ryan. Indeed. Confirming the gesture with us today, Joe Lowry. Hello, Joe. I'm, I'm going to be honest, Ryan. You really had me until the, the little roar you did just there. I'm not <laughs> sure really how I felt about that. Very curious about how the listeners felt about it. But I've decided that I would like that to not happen in the first two minutes of a show e- ever. Ever again? Ever. Okay. I think ever again. Me- meow. Yeah. How about that, Joe? <laughs> yeah. uh, well, Joe, yeah. your, appreci- your feedback is appreciated as always. I'll note that down. Don't do meek lion's roars ever again. <laughs> Start off podcast. Good. Cool. Graham Thank Rothman, you. how are Thanks, you today, Ryan. sir? Hello, Ryan Billy. I enjoyed the roar, and I also enjoyed watching this uh, this this final this match. Yeah, but uh, no, nobody likes a gloat. Scotland weren't involved in the match. There's only <laughs> so far I can push this. But yes, how are you, Ryan? Are you holding up okay? I'm holding up okay, Graham, because I think, um, as I sort of mentioned before we started recording, this was a fair and square defeat of the English here. Not like mm. that Euro 2020 final where there were shenanigans. This one I have no complaints about. So I've had a, f- a little, a few minutes to sort of mull mm. it over, Graham. But uh, uh, out there in the streets of uh, Scotland's second city, are they are they dancing in the streets at the moment? Is there a, is there some kind of parade happening? Uh, no doubt. I think the festival's happening in, in Edinburgh at the moment. I'm not sure what's going on in Glasgow. I don't leave I don't leave my house <laughs> thanks to the non-stop football. There's Premier League football happening right now that I'll have to uh, catch up on. But at least we will have, or at least England will have Mary Earps telling everyone to F off after saving a penalty. I did enjoy <laughs> that moment. Quality Sunday morning broadcasting there, Graham. That's what I think you'll find that is. Very, very stressful way to start your Sunday, by the way, having your team in a World Cup final. Don't recommend it, especially when they get beaten, I will say. Uh, oh, but, uh, Indeed. We will be talking about those Premier League games and much more, of course, Graham, in our weekend review on Monday. But today, all about the Women's World Cup. 64 games, Taylor, 164 goals, over 1.7 million fans in attendance in the stadiums. We now have a winner. It is not the country where I was born. It is Spain, of course. Spain with a 1-0 win over England. First ever World Cup title for them, denying England their first title. Olga Carmona with the first half strike making the difference. Jenny uh, Moso having the chance to go two up from the penalty spot, but saved by Mary Earps before the aforementioned expletive, expletive was uh, uttered on international broadcast. Uh, so Taylor, despite a 4-0 beatdown in the groups, despite the obvious division in their camp going into this uh, tournament, they, they've defied the doubt they have done it and they did it very very well that they did they were comprehensively the better team in this game spain i thought england made some changes some of which worked i thought they had a few more opportunities in the second half but this was a game largely controlled by spain at least from my uh, initial watch but two other things to note there one i do think as we've seen in a few other instances in this world cup namely when japan go out if you pick the wrong time to have your worst performance or your slowest start to a game, it can really be a problem. And in a World Cup final, that goes doubly so. The other thing that I'm, I'm sort of now very interested in coming away from this tournament is an idea that sort of reverses something I've long believed. I've long held that like the team that wins the World Cup, uh, it's, it's only right if they win every single game. Like France in 98, they win every single game. They never look that troubled as they cruise to their victory. 
And that shows you how strong that team is. And the, and the Brazil team they beat in that final loses their opening game against Norway, I think. They always looked a little bit shaky. But in the last, in this World Cup and then in the Men's World Cup, we had Argentina losing in kind of shock fashion to Saudi Arabia. Spain loses a shock result against Japan, or more so how shocking that scoreline was. And it feels like both teams learned from that, got their humbling, uh, changed what they were doing, and were able to respond accordingly. Whereas England, I feel like we're never fully checked in this tournament until this moment. And Spain, I think, uh, come away victorious for that and several other reasons. Yeah, uh, Spain, of course, losing the men's team losing their first game of the 2010 World Cup, we should probably note as well, Tater. Um, Graham, what did you make of this one? For me, the, the Spanish were in complete control for most of it. Yeah. The press was relentless. It seemed like England tried to match it, at least in the first half, and tried to match the party party possession-possession as well. But ultimately, Spain, they, they just looked fitter. And that mid and deep block they had, England just couldn't unlock it at all, couldn't find mm. a way through. Yeah, I don't want to be too reductive, but I think Spain are just a better team at this moment in time. I think England made some bad decisions and they will regret some of the things that they did over 90 minutes. But as I say, I also think Spain just have more talent. At least this Spain lineup has more talent. Maybe it might have been a bit different had um, you know Beth Mead and, and Leah Williamson and, and Fran Kirby been available. Fran Kirby in particular, because I reckon she makes a bit of a difference in this match because England were lacking someone in between the, the midfield and the attacking lines. But then Spain are also missing a lot of talent at this World Cup. And, and putting Jorge Vilda to, to one side, this is a, a seriously impressive programme that Spain have got at the moment. And, and between both the club and the international game, it really feels like we have a bit of a new dominant force in at, at, at the top of women's soccer. That might be a little bit premature on, on the international side because, of course, Spain didn't win the Euros 12 months ago. And this this is the first time that they have won a, a major tournament. But if you look at the players that they have, the young players that they have coming through, the players like Paolo Luejo, who has, for my money, been... Taylor's laughing already at the pronunciation. Really? <laughs> the tournament's over. <laughs> yeah, nearly there. It's R's and L's. It's, it's the, it's the Ber, Berhalter paradigm. I'll never get it as a Scot. <laughs> but yeah, she, is, she's, she was the... The best young player at the tournament for me, there are, there are players like Bon Matty. I think she's maybe 25, 26 years old. She was possibly the best player in the entire tournament all the way through. She's got another one or two World Cups in her. So I think if you project it forward, this team can can become a real force. And of course, so many of them play together for the same club team that is dominating European club football as well. So good luck getting the better of Spain over the next few years. And I believe Paraguelo, Para see, there we go, <laughs> by my uh, I believe she won Best Young Player of the Tournament as well. So not just for you, Graham, I think for, oh, for right, FIFA okay. as well. She she wins that award. I think Bonmati wins Golden Ball. Mary Earps wins Golden Gloves. I forget where we mm. were with Golden Shoe. Yeah, I hope yeah. they wash that Golden Glove after Amy Martinez was done with it. <laughs> I we all hope that, Graham. Sincerely, we all hope that. I think I would be less... I, I, I'm not willing to say that Spain are the number one team in the world right now from now until the end of the next decade or whatever it is, right? But they are very clearly one of the teams that in every tournament that they're in between now and the end of the next decade and probably longer are in contention to win it, right? And, and that for me is really when you are established at the international level as a nation because tournaments are, are weird and wild. And Taylor, you're right. You know, you led with the fact that a team can lose en route to winning the World Cup, right? It's, it's a little silly all the way around. It's a strange format for these tournaments. So the best you can do with, you know, some weird luck and variants coming at, popping in left and right in these tournaments, the best you can do is position yourself as one of the contenders in Spain, as are England, are now very much in this category of any single time that they're out on the field, you're sort of expecting them to win, or, or at least you know that they can and Spain in this game, I thought, was the better team pretty much from start to finish. England showed a little bit more in the second half. Lauren James was on the field you know, playing on the left side, and, and they switched to a back four for large stretches of that second 45, second 63 minutes or whatever it was. It was a long second half. <laughs> but, I mean, England, England never really found any footing in the first half. Spain controlled the ball. England tried to control the ball in the first 10, 15 minutes, and they had some success kind of matching Spain and, and pressing and, and at least being in the game. And then Spain just wrestled that control away. And what Spain do to you is they put you in these impossible situations because Spain pushed so many numbers forward and controlled the ball with so many short little passes. They counterpressed so aggressively. They're just never not either in possession of the ball or like two feet away and two seconds away from being in possession of the ball. And the choice they make you, uh, they, ma they make you decide 
is they say, well, if you're not going to push numbers deep, if you're not going to sit back and defend in a block, we're going to play right through you. But if you do sit back and defend with a block with 10 players behind the ball or 11 players behind the ball, you're not going to have a chance to get forward because we're just going to smother you. You're not going to have an outlet over the top and we're going to win all those balls. And Ryan's nodding because that's the story we saw in this game. It was England having two seconds to decide what to do with the ball when they win it back in their defensive third, trying to break forward, maybe finding Lauren Hemp, but mostly not finding anyone and losing possession in Spain, just resetting over and over and over again. Yeah, Joe, I think there was a point where they did a rondo at one point in the yep. second half. Now, it was it made me think of Krusty uh, badly betting against the uh, Harlem Globetrotters. <laughs> They're spinning the ball on their finger. Come on, it was it, it was a uh, <laughs> it was challenging to watch that. I would say at that point, frustrating stuff, Graham. Yeah, and and the midfield was where my eye was drawn for much of the match. That's obviously nothing new with Spain. That is where they are strongest. So in this match, you had the trio of uh, Abelera, Bonmate, and Hermoso, who was in the the deeper position. Obviously, we've seen her as the the number nine in in, in this tournament, but she was part of that midfield unit. And had that been a straight matchup against England, I still would have fancied them to con- to control the game, such as the talent of each of those three players. But you also had. Caldente dropping into that midfield and that was creating a, a four on three in the middle of the pitch and England just couldn't handle that both in and out of possession and I think that relates to what Joe is saying in that there was there was no part of England's game plan that was really working in that part of the pitch out of possession yeah. Spain were getting close to Kira Walsh it was difficult for England to get any kind of passing sequences going even when Spain did stand off England which they did at times they blocked any passing channels it felt slow from England everything was pretty laboured um they really struggled to establish a platform higher up than kind of the halfway line. Then for the goal, when Lucy Bronze turns over the ball and drives into the middle, there are four players around her. Now, we can talk about the intelligence of Lucy Bronze doing that and driving into the part of the pitch where there are the most bodies. But then Spain have the intelligence to, to quickly recognise the space that that has opened up in, in Bronze's area that she's vacated and they switch it out quickly and that's where the goal comes from yeah. with an overload and Alessio Russo was having to track back 60 yards to get into that area. I felt bad for her as well, Alessio Russo, because she does have position, I think, when that play first develops. And... I think sort of gets posterized by uh, by Olga in that Russo doesn't really track her. Olga uh, passes her pretty easily. Then Russo has to try to make up the difference. Uh, but the shot is struck before she could get into any sort of position to defend. At the same time, when you are one of a front two and you're expected to be like leading the line and stretching the defense, I think it's hard to put too much on her for then not being immediately alert to a threat developing. Uh, but I think that entire right side was sort of a problem. But I'll talk more about that since I already interrupted Ryan. Go ahead, Ryan. <laughs> You're fine, Taylor. Uh, I wanted to uh, sort of uh, praise Graham for pointing out the intelligence that Spain had to yep. switch the ball over for that goal. Because I've seen a lot of criticism of Lucy Bronze in that moment. Perhaps deserved, probably deserved. And she didn't have a good game overall, I don't think. There was a few other chances where she lost track of her player, I thought. Um, there was a Mariona Cataldeni, uh, Cataldeni, um chance in the second half where she let it go as well, I thought. And... But there were there was time and time again where England could have switched the ball over to Rachel Daly in the first half, where mm. there were, that ball was open in a similar fashion in that channel, and that ball that that same intelligence wasn't displayed. I think that was a difference maker as much as as much as we can say Lucy Bronze was wrong there, Graham. We have to absolutely praise that the Spanish were quick enough to make that move, which yeah. England lacked that quickness today. Yeah, they just had Spain just had a clarity that that England didn't, and I would like to talk a little bit more about how England lacked that clarity later on. Um, I'll pass the mic, but yeah, Spain Spain were very good in those moments in possession. Walsh was being bypassed pretty easily. They were getting the fullbacks high, which created these triangles. You had a very effective one between Carmona, Hermoso, and Caldante, which was extremely effective. And and when it worked best, it felt like England had. One player, usually usually Kira Walsh, um, against three Spanish players. And that's probably, Ryan, when you mentioned the Rondo, that's probably the Rondo effect there when you have three against one. And I don't really know what you do about that. It felt like it felt like a sinking ship with a million different holes in the in the hull and England were trying to plug one of them and another one appeared and they wouldn't they couldn't plug all of them all at once. It was a difficult match for them. And I think that's where Joe led off this conversation talking about Spain by Spain saying Spain will put you in positions you don't want to be in. I think that is a very good summary of what this Spain team do very well. I also feel like an even worse position than that is to be England and think 
haha, we are not playing into your game. We're negating what you want us to do. We're causing you problems. We're having Jess Carter, uh, uh, Carter and uh, Lucy Bronze step forward uh, in, and, and track players all the way back. What are you going to do now? Oh, there's now 60 yards of space in behind on the entire right <laughs> side. Like that, that was the thing that I kept seeing was how often England's game plan seemed to be track runners, even when they go deep, stay with them, don't give them time on the ball. But when you're doing that, it can work for large stretches. I don't even think it worked for large stretches in this game. But I think Spain are so technically proficient that if if you turn out of a, a 1v1 challenge, it opens up the entire game. And I think in some ways, England's plan from the outset sort of played into what Spain wanted to do. And I think, to, to y'all's credit, Spain then were able to really capitalize on when those gaps opened up, when there were those spaces in behind or those spaces out wide. I think they were able to get the ball there and then kind of make more dominoes fall from that spot. But I feel like England's game plan from the jump wasn't really working, and I don't think they could change it very effectively. I've just said this the whole tournament, right, about Spain. They find solutions so well. Like, whatever it is, except Japan, whatever it is that's thrown at them, they (laughs) seem to find a way through. And even against Japan, right, they did create chances in that game. They were just incredibly unfortunate and poor defensively in moments at the other end that it never really mattered. But they're so sharp, Spain, in build-up in this match. They're switching the play so well, and it's not just on that goal, although that is a great moment to spotlight, and I'm glad we did. That switch out to the wing, it's Abayera who finds Caldente in the half space on that side, and Abayera was fantastic in this game and absolutely unreal in this tournament. It was fun to have her on one side, number six for Real Madrid, and Kira Walsh on the other side, number six for Barcelona. That was a fun kind of underlying narrative in this game that I really enjoyed watching, and I think Madrid ended up winning this particular battle. But Spain, it wasn't just Abayera. The way that they can find space and pull you over to one side and then look for space on the other side, they did it to the Dutch earlier on in this tournament. They did it in this game. Certainly, they've done it in other stretches as well. They're so smart in figuring out where the pressure is, how to exploit it, what the opposing defensive shape is, and where the weaknesses are there. England defending fairly narrow through midfield because they're playing with a front two, and it's you know some combination of Stanway and Toon pushing forward to Mark Abayera and Bonmati Hermoso, and then Kira Walsh gets a little bit deeper. And then they have the back five with the wingbacks pushing forward at times as well. Like, it's a very narrow midfield group. It's not two blocks of four behind a front two in the press. It's super vertically congested. And so Spain realized that very early on. Sixth minute, I had a moment down. Ninth minute, I had a moment down with Bonmati dropping in and playing a quick switch over to the right side of the field. It was happening over and over again to the point where I just stopped writing it down because the point was proven how good they are at that. England could never really control those moments. And I I don't hate the idea of them pressing because it was so hard for them to transition forward out of a a deeper block. But again, this is the problem with Spain. Sometimes you try to throw eight different problems at them and it just doesn't make any difference. Uh, Joe, we do have to jump to a break, but one quick question. Uh, When we did the Men's World Cup in New York, New York, um, you had a document running of all your notes from games, and it was one billion pages long by the end of the tournament. (laughs) So my question is, do you have something similar, and is it also one billion pages long at this stage? So I have gone back to old habits, which is just using my Apple Notes app for everything in my life. I have like two thousand, actually have exactly 2,371 notes in my Apple Mm. Notes. And I have one for each individual day of the World Cup. So maybe at some point I'll stitch it all together and see how long it is. But uh, if it was one document, it would be a thick one. There we go. Publishers, listen out. That one's coming your way very shortly. (laughs) But for now, we take a quick break. Oh, my gosh. Taylor Rockwell is fanning (laughs) through a book of notes as we go to a break here. I think that's just the Iliad. Was that an encyclopedia or was that? Yeah. (laughs) It's the Iliad of the Odyssey in one book. That's, (laughs) That's what I was going for there, yeah. Very good. All right, break time. When we come back, I'll sink a little further into my depression fugue. Back shortly. Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early. There are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our review of the Women's World Cup Final. Uh, Joe, we were talking before we hit record about the differences between the second and the first half. Obviously, Serena Vigman made some big calls at the half. Russell and Daly coming out of the side. James and Chloe Kelly coming in. Uh, it was regarded as ruthless. It was regarded as quite a an edgy decision, I suppose. Um, we saw Chloe Kelly getting a decent amount of activity out wide. Um, and and uh, Lauren James, a lot of the ball, but slowing the play down a lot which is Lauren James type behavior I suppose what did you make of those moves and did they improve England's chances in the second half I think the moves were both fine and I thought they marginally improved England's chances I think others have more thoughts on this that maybe differ slightly from mine but I'm just curious what this match would have looked like with Lauren James on from the start you know I'd mentioned that I would have started her over tune coming into this match because I think you want as much firepower and speed on the break as you can possibly get against this Spain team, and Lauren James inarguably brings more of that than Ella Toon. So I would have gone with James from the jump, but I think it was the right thing to do if you're not going to do that, to bring her on as soon as you can in the second half, and that's exactly what happened. Russo wasn't particularly involved. She's not maybe quite dynamic enough to really find opportunities in, in these moments. She's a very good player, but at least she doesn't bring quite as much in transition running downhill as Lauren James, who we saw on the left a lot in this match. And I, I did like the decision to bring a, a wing back off because it allowed England to shift to a back four for stretches. And we saw Jess Carter basically playing left back, which is you know uh, not a role that we'd seen her in often throughout this tournament. But I like the idea of England trying to be more aggressive and push numbers forward. They knew the kind of situation they were in. They knew that chances weren't going to be very abundant in this second 45, even if it wasn't this perfect free-flowing type of, of second half from England. I do think they pushed more, more numbers forward. I think they were more aggressive. I think they created a little bit more and gave Spain a few more problems. Yes, they left themselves exposed at the other end, but they didn't end up conceding. So I, I think in general, these changes were fine. The only, the only issue I would take with, with that, Joe, is that I think they got so focused on going direct and trying not to get caught by the press from Spain, but also trying to bypass it with direct passes that like that makes sense. But I think it was almost to their detriment because especially once you had England in like a three, two, three, one, one shape is I think what Ali Wagner called it. And I would agree. And that was with Millie Bright as one of those ones. It just felt like they, they had so many numbers committed to the attack that what they would do is play short to one of the center backs. Everyone would sort of run forward and then the center backs would look for that direct ball but almost every single time it was under hit or cut out by that midfield of Spain that were just sitting in front, that were just screening that those many forward players for England. And, and in that way, I felt like some of the changes just became too direct. England were, were so focused on yeah. getting out of that press that it felt to me like they didn't actually have much to do in terms of slowing down the tempo and controlling the way the game was played as the game went on. 
Yeah, I, I understand why the, the changes were made and certainly why why they were required. Something needed to change after the first half. I have to admit, I am a bit of a proper football man and when you take off your two... Um, what I mean by that in that sense is with regards to centre-forwards, if when you take off your two orthodox centre-forwards and don't really have anything to re- replace them with um, as a focal point, my eyebrows are raised immediately. But I do think the, the changes stabilise the midfield a bit but I agree with you Taylor I think it created a big divide between the the midfield and the attack and it meant that England's most consistent option uh, that was available to them was to go long and that might have worked if you had Russo and Daly because Russo I don't think has a lot of pace so in transition maybe Russo isn't the the best option but if you're going direct and long I think Russo is quite effective in, in, in that regard and so is Rachel Daly so if you're going long and they're on the pitch, then fair enough. But they're then taken off the pitch. And Millie Bright plays the last 20 minutes of this match as an emergency centre forward, which I know is something that she has done before. And not only has she done it before, at the Euros against Spain, she was a bit of an agent of chaos and changed that game for England. So I can understand, what again, why that was done. But having Millie Bright as your centre forward for the last 20 minutes of a World Cup final is not the sign of a plan coming together, in my opinion. So... I do, I do have some sympathy because Veeman at least tried some things. That's always the one kind of criticism of her is maybe she doesn't change things during games uh, often enough. And it was clear that the three-five-two was creating an imbalance in midfield. But I, I'm not sure she settled on the correct approach for the second half of that match. So, so Graham, that plan, having Millie Bright up top, obviously we've seen it before, but was that plan C? Was it plan D? Or was it closer to plan like H or I? I that's why I couldn't quite figure out in this game because as you say, Rachel Daly's there. Is there a scenario where she's not taken off and moved up top? Yeah. Well? If we're honest, I think it was plan panic. I don't think, I think it was way down the list. That's that's what it was at that stage. Um, there was another moment where England actually had a decent cross to the back post from the right wing. They switched it. We, we spoke about the lack of switches in the first half. They did this in the second half and Jess Carter gets in at the at the back post. She's the free runner at the back post and in that moment I'm thinking do you not want Rachel Daly in that position rather than really a a central defender I don't think of Jess Carter as someone who's comfortable in in that situation so look I have sympathy it was a difficult match for England I kind of suspect that if you'd given Wigman if you gave Wigman another shot at this she maybe still wouldn't come up with a winning strategy because Spain were just that good and they caused that many problems but it it felt like a quite a muddled approach in the last 25 minutes from England yeah um, so Taylor, more general question. Serena Wiegman has now lost back-to-back World Cup finals. Hoi uh, mm. uh, Hoi obviously has now yeah, has now <laughs> uh, has now uh, obviously won one, but is a controversial character. Who 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 leaves this final in better stead? Do we think? Obviously, it's a it's, it's a very challenging question. Still Wiegman. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, th- I honestly think it's Vilda. Uh, he's boo- he's booed when he lifts the trophy. And an interesting mm. thing for me, I, I would love to learn more. I plan to learn more. Uh, is the way he has been discussed because so much of the post match comments that I saw were about how they won despite this coach. How some of that was that he's a mediocre ma- mediocre manager, not very good, not very smart when it comes to tactics. But then there's also all this like, oh, he's he's a pig, he's a jerk, he's a bad guy. But a lot of what I have read is basically that he is like not very creative in his match preparation. Uh, and also, I think it's very strict. There's stuff about like searching players' bags when they when they go away from the team, like when they go on little breaks. And I think rules about like when they're allowed to lock their doors or something like that. So yeah. it seems like he is very strict on that side, maybe too strict. And it seems like then there are some questions about match preparation, the amount of sort of tactical information he is providing. Uh, some of that, though, seems to have been to the Federation. And a lot of the criticism seems to be more about uh, the Federation not funding proper travel, not giving the team time to train or prepare or get to s- games early or st- cities early. And so I feel like he he has been a source of criticism, but I feel like people sort of honestly like assume that there is a lot more nefarious stuff to what he's doing, whereas to me it sounds like he's just sort of maybe an unimaginative coach that doesn't really inspire and is a bit too much of a disciplinarian. In some ways, it reminds me of the criticism of Jill Ellis when she was the U.S. women's coach and how it was sort of her training is predictable. She makes the locker room too competitive. She's a little too controlling. Uh, and and I, I'm, I'm assuming there's more to the situation with Vilda. There certainly is with the Federation and the, and the FA president sort of like, Big hugs and kissing the players when celebrating the win also felt a little bit tone deaf within the context of 12 players still sitting this team out. But I think Vilda 
because of that, to, in my mind, comes away as a coach who can still get his teams to play well, who can still learn along the way and adapt what he's doing. And we finally saw Parayuelo used centrally from the start. And I do think that had a big impact on this game. So I feel like we've seen him make adjustments to this team. Hermoso playing deeper in this one as well. And I think he comes away with a lot of credit. I don't really have any negative feelings towards Serena Wiegmann, though, either. And I think if she had won this, then the narrative is she goes to the finals last time, she wins the Euros, now she's won the World Cup. She's the best manager on the planet. And, and I think she is still in that like top tier for me, even despite this. I think it's just to the point others have made. It's just a testament to how good this Spain team is. I was thinking, if you played this game again, knowing what we know, with the players knowing what they know, are, is England more likely to win? And I think they're more likely to lose because I think they had so few answers to what Spain were doing in this. I think they just panic more. And Lucy Bronze is a prime example of that. She makes some questionable decisions when she's carrying the ball forward. I think she could have done a little bit more defensively. But I also saw her making bad decisions when it came to crosses, when it came to when to hit through balls, when not to hit through passes, when to go for shots. She has one when she has players at the back post that she goes for a shot from 40 yards out and it almost goes out for a throw-in. Oh, and the, those moments to me indicate individual panic and an individual like lack of familiarity with the situation. And I don't know if that would have been improved. So I think Wiegmann like basically did what she could. She tried to make changes. I don't think those changes had a huge impact. I think they had some impact, but I think Vilda and Spain just very much better on the day and present, presented so many problems across this game for England that they weren't able to answer. Yeah. On um, on Jorge Vilda, I've come I've I've gone back and forth a little bit on Jorge Vilda because we spoke about this in the preview um shows that we did. There's not a there's not a whole lot of information on what the specific allegations and accusations are. And with regards to the football side of things, I I, I don't really take that too seriously. Obviously the accusation there is that training methods are not up to the standards of a lot of these players that, that they have at club level with Barcelona, I would say that's probably common across international um, soccer. That's kind of just the way it is. But when you look at the the letter, the email that was signed by the 15 players, they talk about the the, the emotional state and, and health impacts that Jorge Vilda and the Federation has had on them. And where I've kind of landed on it is thinking of those 12 players. And we're talking about some of the best players in the world, right? We're talking about Sandra Panos, who is one of the best goalkeepers in the world, would have started for this this Spain team on talent alone. We're talking about Mappy Leon as well, who plays for for Barcelona. So these are players who would have won this World Cup with Spain. They're sitting at home watching this. and, And I just think something serious has to have happened for them to have made that decision. There are yeah. also moments throughout this tournament as well, like Alexia Patelis gets taken off in the, is it the quarterfinal, the semifinal? I can't quite remember. And she brushes past one of the, the coaching staff and kind of slaps his hands out of the way on, 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 on the way to the bench. If you look at the celebrations after full time of this match of a World Cup final, you have two very clear camps. You have the player camp and then you have the yeah. coaching staff. I think it was, was it maybe Miguel Delaney who works for the, the Independent? He was up in the press box. He took a picture of it to, to prove it and said, look at the distance between the two camps there. So even in a moment of, of, of great joy, the, 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 the most acute moment of joy you can have as a football player winning a World Cup, for those feelings to still linger, I just think yeah. something serious must have happened. I'm even curious if uh, Olga's celebration, Olga Carmona, who hits the the winner, wins uh, player of the of the of the match. She hits it and runs to the corner flag and lifts up the jersey, like holds it with her mouth. But definitely, it might just be like an innocuous thing, but definitely seems to be covering up the Spain crest. And to me, that felt like a very deliberate. I'm protesting by not protesting. So even there, I felt like you could see some of the the dissatisfaction with the federation uh, playing a part. Graham, my, my question for you though. I think the best way I can explain it, because I think we're all hesitant, especially with everything that's happened specifically in the the NWSL. I don't want to say like, I don't know, Vilda seems like a good coach. And then we hear about like horrific abuses or something like that. What I have read, there don't seem to be those level of issues. I think my understanding is like, you could say it's uh, the players are dissatisfied with Jorge Vilda and the Federation, or you could say the players are dissatisfied with the Federation and Jorge Vilda, and I'm inclined to say it's the Federation first, Vilda second. But you're absolutely right that those celebrations definitely show a bit, a bit of disharmony, yeah. a bit of a fracture going on and, there. And that speaks to Spain's 
skill level all the more, yeah. right? Like yep. the, the players are the ones out there on the field winning games, right? That ultimately that is the reality. And the players are darn good. Like the fact that they can deal with everything that's going on around them and we we don't know everything that's going on around them. And even if it is just what we do know, it doesn't seem great. Uh, so the fact that these players can band together and produce so many impressive performances and come out and really be the better team in a final for 90 plus minutes and never really look like they're in danger of losing that game. I just have so much respect for that. I have so much respect for these players, whatever it is that they've dealt with. And we know some of the specifics, but maybe we're lacking information there as well for them to have made a run. It feels like this has kind of been that world cup of, of teams shoving it a little bit back in the faces of their federations that maybe are, are not always. And in some cases certainly are not acting in the best interest of their players. We see Jamaica make an impressive run. We see Colombia make an impressive run. South Africa, like you can run through the list. I have a ton of respect for what Spain and these group of players, this group of players have accomplished. And really you can apply that same line of thinking to so many other different teams in this tournament. And I love that. Very good stuff. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, uh, maybe we'll talk a little bit more about Serena Wiegmann. We'll talk about maybe some of those player awards that were handed out. Maybe we'll even touch on the very specific predictions that we made throughout this tournament. Uh Oh, Mm, interesting. Yeah. Back shortly. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, who would like to remind you when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. You don't want to end up with Ryan Graham and Joe. Just kidding. Just kidding. Very much just kidding, because I was very fortunate to have the three of them all join the show. And I had existing relationships with all three of them that allowed me to know that they could handle the 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 uh, the amount of work that would be required, that they could be diligent in their tasks and be very effective on mic. And all three of them are. But again, that's because you have the existing relationship. If you don't feel like you have that with potential hires, then LinkedIn is going to make it very, very easy, and they're going to make it feel like you are connected to that person. They have a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because it gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. But when you are setting the requirements and making it very specific as to what you're looking for, you can very quickly narrow it down to find the right candidate for that position. Hiring is easy when you have that many candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring, and you can too. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash TSS. That's linkedin.com slash TSS to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Thank you very much to LinkedIn for sponsoring today's episode. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our Women's World Cup final coverage. Taylor Rockwell, uh, coming back to Serena Wiegmann, only her second loss with England in 39 games, which is pretty impressive. Uh, What next for Wiegmann, do you think? Uh, A silver lining for me out of this game is that I think if she would have won, she would have proved everything with Mm -hmm. the Lionesses and maybe would be more inclined to, I don't know, go to somewhere in North America. Whereas uh, now, maybe she... Canada? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Canada. Or, yeah, exactly. That. Canada definitely cannot afford her. <laughs> <laughs> or you, you know what I mean, though, Taylor. I think yeah. maybe she might think the project isn't done yet, whereas she may have had a different view had this result gone differently. Yeah, I mean, I, I, again, I say she comes away from this one. I don't, I don't like ding her too much for this one. So she still remains the type of manager where what comes next is whatever she wants. Uh, I hope she stays with England. I think it, it's been interesting to see what she's done with this team and how much. Just more consistent they've looked in my mind. Not that they've ever looked poor, but I feel like she has helped them sort of kick on to a new level and and I think has brought more interest. And, and I think even that they brought her in in the first place was a sign of the intent of the program and where they wanted it to go. So I, I hope it continues. I hope maybe they win back-to-back Euros, and that's another sign of, of what she's been able to do with this team. I also don't know where else would strongly appeal to her right now. She's she's obviously had her time with the Dutch. She's had her time with England. So maybe it's rebuilding the United States. Maybe, maybe it's rebuilding Brazil. Who knows? But, but I think it's sort of wherever she wants to go. My inclination is to guess that she will stay with England for the time being. Yeah, the improvement in England since Wiegmann has come in has, has been remarkable. You go back to 2019 
World Cup and the, how they just lacked any sort of framework. I saw a, a tweet from uh, a comedian in the UK called Nish Kumar. I'm not sure if he's um, very popular in the US, but he, I, I, I can only imagine he's not someone who would watch the Lionesses very often, which I would I, I would say is a, a large portion of the, the audience in the UK today. And he tweeted, I've just found out that Phil Neville was the Lionesses manager before Serena Vigman. It's like finding out Mr. Bean was a member of the Rolling Stones. <laughs> 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 which I thought was uh, quite funny. But I, yeah, I think um, he would have had a more positive impact on the Rolling Stones, Mr. B. <laughs> like, I, I feel like he brings some levity. I feel like he maybe lightens some things up. He probably keeps Brian Jones around. So I feel like Mr. Yeah. Bean would have been better than Phil Neville was for England. That's the collaboration we all want to see, to be honest, mm-hmm. now, having read that tweet. <laughs> but yeah, Vigman, for my money, she's still the best uh, coach in international women's soccer. You're right, she can do whatever she wants if she wants to leave to... She has under contract until 2025, I believe, so getting her out of the the FA might be quite difficult. Ryan, you sent a, a link to a story. Um, what did it say exactly? It said England are not even going to pick up the phone to anyone who wants to try and... Um, try and hire Serena Vigman so yeah that might be the difficult bit but it feels like she will stay on at least until the next Euros and possibly even the next World Cup because if you look through this England squad yes there are a few players by the next World Cup by 2027 that will be getting on in age but by and large that is still a team kind of in their peak years yeah totally agreed uh, Nish Kumar by the way presents Pod Save the UK which is the Pod Save America UK equivalent if a listener is interested in learning how ridiculous there are other podcasts uh yeah no, i guess there's three can't there's be right three. yeah no. <laughs> i don't know how you get them and i don't care to find out graham but uh there are others mm. apparently uh the awards from this world cup uh, the golden boot the golden shoe went to hinata miyazawa uh five goals and an assist in this tournament golden ball was a tanya bonmati who got that uh present presented at the final jenny hermoso was a silver ball amanda illestead was the bronze ball the young player was samra payello uh, the Golden Glove, Mary Earps, who did not Emmy Martinez in any way during the presentation, thankfully. Disappointing. Disappointing indeed. Japan winning the Fair Play Award as well, Graham. Um, so I think there's... Any any thoughts on any of those awards that went out? Bomati getting the Golden Ball seems about right, doesn't it? Is Japan getting the Fair Play Award a little bit of kind of a lazy stereotype about like Japanese football? Is that, is it's that not that fat and zills the players, to be fair. <laughs> Well, I know that's what that's what I'm saying. You know, it's the, it's the, it's that sort of thing where every time Japan play a major tournament, you get the video of them tidying the dressing room and leaving it absolutely spotless, which is which is fantastic. Mm. But having watched that video like 40 times in the last three years, I think I've <laughs> I think it, I've had my Graham fill. just wants them to leave the locker room dirty just yeah, once. Exactly. That's what Graham yeah. really wants. <laughs> just exactly. then you have more to clean up next time. I, I get it. Uh, isn't it just though for for disciplinary reasons? Doesn't it relate to cards or lack yeah, thereof as it to does. who wins? That, that award. So, I mean, I doubt Japan's going to care either way because I'm pretty sure this was not the award they were gunning for uh, in this tournament. But uh, I still find it weird that Miyazawa wins Golden Boot given that she they were knocked out. I don't think she scored in that game when they were knocked out. So feels like maybe yeah. other players could have had uh, an opportunity to catch up and none of them were able to do so. I remember we discussed who would win uh-huh. the golden golden boot, and Miyazawa had five goals at that time, and we're all kind of plot, plotting ahead into the into the knockout rounds, figuring out how who had the best side of the bracket. No, it was just it yep. was just exactly as we discussed yep. at that moment. There was nothing else moved. Did anyone yeah. score any more goals in that time? <laughs> like anybody <laughs> in the top, maybe five or six players? I'm not sure they did. Not really. I think three was the most goals uh, coming up behind her five Oof. in this instance. Yeah. By the They're way, all uh, scored by uh, Elisted. She yeah. scored the, all, <laughs> all yeah. the goals yeah. in the knockout rounds. That's, right. <laughs> <Yep. laughs> That's right. Bronze ball indeed. Uh, the fair play award, just to clarify, Taylor, uh, the next tiebreaker after yellow cards is amount of Gatorade bottles left on the locker room floor. Oh, there uh, it is. There yeah, it is. Just see so you know. yeah. uh, so you know. Powerade, I think you'll find, but yes. Ah. <laughs> Anti-Florida sentiment there, Taylor? Is that what that was? <laughs> No, it's, no, it's, it's a FIFA it's, sponsor. It's just the the, the, <laughs> on, the ongoing thing. Of, my wife pointed this one out. She's like, Powerade still exists? And I continue to be confused that Powerade still exists. But yes, Very they're good. the official sponsor. Wait, else to get your Hopefully their bottles were cleaned up. <laughs> Where else do you get your gators is the, is the real question. <laughs> Someone was saying, I can't remember where it was, they thought Gatorade was like milked from alligators at some point. but uh, No, what? they weren't. Yeah. No, they weren't. <laughs> Peter Griffin said that, and I'm pretty sure no one else did. <laughs> Joe, any thoughts on those awards? Bon Matty with the golden ball, a young player, Salma Pariello, getting that one. Uh, Mary Earps with the golden glove. Any, any? Uh... Feels right, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, the, these yeah. awards, are, I feel like, are always a little, little dumb, and it feels like mostly they're right. I think Bon Matty was... 
generally the one of the most positive midfielders for Spain throughout the tournament. I probably would have gone Abeyera because of her impact deeper downfield, but like honestly flip a coin between those two players. Illustad deserves to be recognized somewhere because how often are you going to see a center back score four goals in a World Cup? I'm very, very here for that. And Parauelo, or maybe maybe the pronunciation is right on that one. I'm really trying, guys. I thought it was absolutely unreal. Best 11, certainly one of the best players we've seen. Someone I'm very excited to see much, much more of for Barcelona and for the national team over mm. the next 10 plus years at this point. What, she's 19 years old? So I, they probably got him right. I think you could make yeah. strong arguments for other players too, but I, I have no real issues with that. The, the laziest one is surely Miriams, because if you look at some of the goalkeeping performances, certainly in the group stage, like Yenith, Yenith Bailey, the, the, the Panamanian goalkeeper, was sensational at this tournament. And it kind of feels like with the Golden Glove, Golden Glove they were like, Miriams, yeah, you're here. You're already yeah. at this at this stadium. We'll just give it to you. You're so going to scream curse words at us if we don't give it to you. We <laughs> yeah. learned that on the penalty, so you can just have it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly yes indeed any thoughts guys I'm throwing this one at you but the best game of the tournament I'm thinking like that Japan Norway 3-1 Ooh. I really enjoyed back in the group stages uh, what, Spain Switzerland that was good yeah, that, that, one's, was, that, that one's close to the top of my list it was yeah. the even though it was nil-nil right I think the shootout at the end of Australia France has got to be really right. high up the list 100%. that was one of the well, that was one of the best ones in this tournament so far there's got to be a couple others, but those are the ones that jumped out. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm. A, I, I've been established as a sicko for this one, but Netherlands Spain was my favorite one. I found that one so engaging. What both teams were doing, how they were trying to play, the goal scored, the late winner. Uh, I thought that was a really, really, yeah. really fun game. My favorite game was probably Germany Colombia, and I think it probably has my famous goal slash moment as well. The Linda Caicedo kind of jink and then smashed finish into the top corner. I think that was probably one of the most memorable moments of the entire tournament. And I remember that game as being pretty compelling as well. Yeah, very good candidates. Joe, I almost went with the Australia-France game, but then I thought the game wasn't good itself. But it you're was right, not, that shootout was not was, good. The shootout was high drama. The shootout was absolutely That was also your highlight. best VSP, Ryan, wasn't it? Do you not yeah. predict Australia winning penalties? Yeah, that was a good yes, one. Yes, sir. More on those shortly, Graham. But before we get there, a third place game happened on Saturday. Sweden beating the aforementioned Australia 2-0. A nice, uh, I'm going to call it a stunner from Kozavari Aslani uh, to seal this one after a penalty just before half time. When are we getting Graham's D? detail thoughts is that kind of, yeah, i thought so we would have led quick, with that to be honest tight five on this game australia <laughs> no, i can't do it <laughs> australia looked they, tired emotionally exhausted after what happened essentially uh sweden done a win the end the end yeah basically i watched i watched this game it, it was on in the background as i was doing some some work in the kitchen so the the obviously rolful penalty the goal from aslani was was very very nice she's a a very talented player. I don't think we saw the best of her at this tournament. I mean, she wasn't bad, but I'm, I'm pleased we got a, a big kind of marquee moment from Aslani because she's a player that I enjoy watching. Very good indeed. Okay, I think there's one thing probably left to do in this episode. Very specific predictions. I've got to say, guys, the standard of very specific predicting at this tournament was high, I think. I think as a ratio, I think we hit more than previously. Is that fair to say, Taylor? It is. I, I do think, as we learned when we hosted trivia in New York uh, for the Men's World Cup, that maybe all being together made us get like way too inside baseball slash soccer slash football. Uh, <laughs> so maybe this time being separate, we, we got less in the weeds with some of these predictions. Uh, but overall, I thought a very strong performance. I will add there were many sort of cynical fouls from England in this one. Uh, I think my prediction was that there would be three cynical or over, o- overt fouls. I'm not claiming a point for this one because I don't think any of them were in the spirit that I, I thought they would be. There's maybe what only one that sort of crosses the line for me of like, ooh, that was deliberate. You knew exactly what you were doing. For the most part, it was just England, I think, having to foul, which to me isn't cynical. It's more so like practical because you're panicking. Uh, I thought they would have to do that more because they would be controlling chunks of this game and they definitely did not so i will say no prediction point for me which means i am very much out of the golden shoey race well okay. i'm claiming my point for georgia stanway's goal from the halfway line as you should banger. yeah why not why not it was good we all remember that happening um so i, I believe as we went into this joe lowry uh, myself my team and you were tied on 10 correct vsps each going into this one uh my vsp was that maria will make four or more saves checks well notes. done Made four saves. Well done. I, you right had twelve. Done. It was. Yeah, 12 it actually says twenty. I just checked the doc, and it still says twenty yep. from the other day. It was never reverse. <laughs> I actually went back, and it says twenty, and I was like, I can't it does. Have said twenty for it a does. second. I was really confused by that. <laughs> I genuinely do not remember what my VSP was for this game. I know what's in the doc. Part of me thinks I changed it last minute. Maybe I didn't. I think I, I at one point I had down 
that England would attempt more take-ons than Spain. That's what's written in the doc. I have no <laughs> recollection of what I actually said on the show. And regardless of that, guys, I'm still not sure what happened here because I had another tournament-long VSP. Ryan, I think you maybe had one more tournament-long VSP. Kenny in the Discord has not, uh, and I hope you're like sleeping or something, Kenny. You've earned it, man. But Kenny is not updated with the final award. Ryan, I feel like you won. It seems like you think you won, given what you said earlier, so, but I, I'm not really sure. According to Kenny, Ryan wins if he gets his final VSP, check, and Joe gets his finest final VSP incorrect. Now, I believe your VSP was that England will attempt more take-ons than Spain. Stats not I updated had, via FB ref, folks. I haven't looked it up. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. We're going to have to update <laughs> folks later on this. I really don't know what happened here. <laughs> More clarity on that shortly, and maybe someone will be uh, being passed. Well, someone definitely will be passed Graham's golden shoey at the end of this tournament. But well done to everybody. Well done to David Gass also for getting involved in these Ooh. predictions as well. Um, Fatma, Fat I don't know if this is it. Fatma has duels won. No. Would, would we count no. that or no? No, no, no. no totally no. different. No, take okay. on's like dribbles. Think think dribbles, not duels. So, okay. got to wait for FB ref one way or the other. And really, let's be I'm honest. Trying to help guys. you, Joe. Let's we got to wait you. for Kenny. We got to wait for Kenny because <laughs> Kenny is the VSP czar. <laughs> Kenny's been running the show. I love it. Um, and, and even if Ryan wins, and I'll congratulate you, Ryan, I think you'll have earned it. Kenny is the real MVP, and we all know it. 100%, Kenny. Well done for. Uh, taking care of our very specific prediction league. And listen, if you don't know what we're talking about, patreon.com slash totalsoccershow is where you join and find the bonus content, including our Discord, where Mr. Kenny Seiden has been taking care of the VSPs. There's lots of fun chat in there. All the cool kids are hanging out in there. Why don't you join us if you haven't already, Taylor? Uh, Fat Mob has successful dribbles 16 to 11 for Spain, but we yep. can wait for FB Ref and Kenny. Yeah, Okay. fingers crossed, okay. folks. I'm just looking over by the door where my shoes are, thinking about which one I'm going to use. Mm, that one it. would look good yeah. in gold, wouldn't it? Well, no, you have to do it out of my like sweaty Nike, Ryan. And okay. then the question th th that begs the question: Who really wins? Yeah, if hey, you have hey, to Ryan. Shoe hey, out Ryan. Of my, congrats! I'm willing, <laughs> shoe. I'm willing to see victory to you. No problem. Congrats, man. You've earned. What's, what is a TSS canon rule there? Does it have to be beer? What has to be inside it? Beer, oh yeah, right? beer. It has to be a beer. Yeah, okay. Of course. Okay, excellent. All right. Well, uh, where, however those chips may fall, thank you very much, listener, for joining us on this one and for joining us throughout this Women's World Cup fun as it has been. Joe Lowry, a pleasure as always having you join us on this journey. Right back at you, Ryan. Sorry, England lost. We'll get them next time, team. Go. We will, Eng indeed. No, no hard feelings on my part. No uh, Chiellini-based hijinks in this game, so I'm all good with the result. Uh, free and fair games, I accept the result, etc. and so on. Graham Rutherford, congratulations for your part on this podcast. It's still not coming home, Ryan Bailey. Thank you. Came home in the Euros. It's okay. I'm feeling all right. <laughs> and by the way, I did go for my run and listen to three lines this morning. It didn't work, so it's broken. That's broken now. Good. I'm New glad. tradition needed. Taylor Rockwell, thank you very much for joining us on here, my good man. Thank you, my friend. And if it helps, maybe for future ones, just change it from It's Coming Home to There's Always Next Time. And then that way you're never disappointed because you've always got next time, Ryan. There's always the next tournament. There is indeed. Maybe I'll just go with Always Look on the Bright Side of Life from Monty Python. That can be my... Uh my mantra going forward why not listener thank you again the for joining us side. on this one we'll be back with our weekend review on monday but for now bye <laughs>